Hi, everyone. Welcome to Rare Bird Radio. This is Karen Stefano, author of the memoir, What a Body Remembers, a memoir of sexual assault and its aftermath. And with me today is author Dean Garner, who's just released the novel Suicide Tango. How are you, Dean? Oh, super, Karen. How are you? I am... I'm super as well, I'm happy to say. Um, I've talked about a lot of, uh, I guess, triggering issues in this podcast, and I've never, ever given a trigger warning. Uh, But today, everyone who's listening, I'm going to uh, provide that trigger warning. Maybe today is not the day for you to listen to this podcast. Um, maybe you want to back burner it. Maybe it's not something you want to listen to at all. Uh, because uh, we will be talking about some sensitive issues, uh, both uh, sexual assault and uh, more significantly, uh, suicide, as you may have guessed from the title of, of Dean's novel. Um, I think that the that the questions we're going to encounter in this podcast are healthy questions. Um, and I, I think yeah. Dean's novel is written from a place of love and I highly recommend it. Uh, but I just I just want everyone to uh, to go into this podcast uh, with the right mental, uh, mental state. And so Dean, with that, um, I want to ask you, let's say hypothetically, you're out at a cocktail party, and someone asks you, huh, Suicide Tango, a novel, what's it about? And it's about love and suicide. <laughs> it's about love and suicide. Previously, I had this Hollywood shorthand. It was um, Goodwill Hunting slams into Pulp Fiction at 500 miles an hour, <laughs> and, that, and that was pretty accurate for I think an, an older draft. But I've softened up Tripsy South a, a lot over the years, and it, it's been 15 years in the making. Wow, I didn't I didn't realize that uh it had been 15 years in in the making. And Tripsy of course is the patient, the teen patient at issue. Uh for those of you listening, it's a story told from the point of view of Dr. John Harley Moore, uh, MD, PhD, a psychiatrist specializing in the treatment of anxious, depressed suicidal teens and it gives both his point of view and largely it's it's straight up dialogue between he and sessions with his teen patient whose name is is tripsy so just to give it (laughs) a little bit more um context and i also dean i wanted to tell you that i love your dedication um, which I, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to read this for everyone. Uh, the dedication is for every beautiful soul who struggles with personal demons and on occasion slays the fuck out of them. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that's such an anthem for, for the novel. And another thing, um, uh, and I'll stop gushing in a moment and let you get a word in <laughs> no, edgewise. Keep going, keep going. <laughs> But another thing I loved was how the book begins with uh, 
the patient TW's uh, list of notes about shrinks. <laughs> and it's just a riff on shrinks. And anyone who's ever seen a shrink, and I don't mean a therapist, I mean a prescription pad psychiatrist it is so relatable um because it speaks to their arrogance and how they ignore what their patients say and the shaming that goes on and i personally have had wonderful experience with therapists and and you know doing talk therapy a little cognitive behavioral therapy a little emdr but Mm -hmm. my experience with the people with the prescription pads (laughs) has been so awful and when, when we talked offline the other day, Dean, I told you I wanted to share online a, a story, yes. uh, a personal story. And yes. The, yes. the first time I ever got referred to see a psychiatrist because I needed um, antidepressants at that point in my life, um, no sooner had my butt landed in the chair across from this woman than she said, you seem bipolar to me. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just, I want, I was just like, I didn't say it, of course, because she had the drugs, but I was just like, fuck you. And, yeah. um, and it's like, yeah, I'm on, I'm on one end and I'm on one end of the pool. I'm on the depression end. There's no mania here whatsoever yeah, if you will yeah, talk yeah. to me for five minutes. But I just, that, that, riff in the beginning was so relatable and i just mm. reading it i was just dying to share that story with you because i knew you would get it yeah i do i do i do and you know i got to mention too you, you mentioned that or you kind of um, said 15 years ago when i started this book it seemed like a long time but your yeah. story and first i love your book i think it's an important story and i hope a million people read it um, you. yours has been more than 30 years yeah. in in the making uh, yeah. so to speak and I was wondering if we can just chat a bit about it because I like to share some of the cool things that I've learned from it. And it, it, it is an important – it's more than just a memoir. Can I do that? Absolutely. Go for it. Okay. Um, well, for, I see it as a big ocean wave. I mean just speaking metaphorically for a moment. It's slowly building momentum as it approaches the shore and is carrying all matter of life and detritus on its journey. And, but it's determined to reach the shore. And what I love is that you included these two initial quotes, one by uh, Larry Levis from uh-huh. his uh, Elegy with a Darkening Trapeze Inside. And the final line of that poem, it suggests two things that are happening at the same time. So my question to you, what are those two important actions or behaviors of yours that are now happening at the same time? Because I feel like they're two opposing forces. What do you think? Well, so so the quote is um, – I should pull it up uh, in front, how, in front let, let me just read it. How she yeah. might have done things differently but didn't. How it is too late to change things now. How it isn't. Yeah, and I, I love him. I love that poem, and I love those lines. And yeah, you 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 nail it. That's an excellent question, Dean. And I think a lot of us can relate to this quote. Um, how because to me, I think that a lot of us we we fuck up in our lives and we uh don't treat ourselves well and you think you know i can't i can't change this but 
we can always change ourselves. We can always work on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yes, we can yes. always work on becoming our best self. We can always be wor- we're working on becoming the person mm-hmm. that we want to be. And yeah. maybe we're not quite there. God knows I'm not. Yeah. Um, uh, again, we talked about this offline the other day uh, about how my therapist, who I love, calls mm-hmm. me um, – a work in progress, and yeah. uh, uh, that's that, that's actually a great point. Let me interrupt just for a minute because yeah. after um, uh, sort of psychoanalyzing your book mm-hmm. and and doing the word counts, the the end result, I felt the person behind was a great work in progress, and that the best days of her life are, are still ahead. But did, did, let me just get back to these because it's interesting that in your book, like uh, the terms assault and fear, show up fifty seven times. Uh, control 48 times. Of course, fuck popped up 46 times, your favorite word. Best, <laughs> and- <laughs> best word ever. I stand by it. My favorite yes. word. <laughs> Me it's too. a noun. It's a verb. It's everything. It's everything. It is everything. <laughs> <laughs> and variations of shit appeared 35 times. Love, 33 times. That's cool. Happy only came up seven times. But what's interesting, even though happy was one of the most infrequently used terms, I still felt that you, you were a great work in progress. And in the end, there's that ocean wave that's determined to reach the shore. And I, I think it, it already has. And it's just kind of um, uh, ebbing and flowing at the shore. But again, you're, you're, the best of your life is still ahead. So congratulations. And it's more than just a memoir. It's, it's an, I think, a great object lesson for all of us. And, and I love the, the quotes you use. The, I, I just had, had to read those over and over, and especially Shapiro's, because uh, that yeah. suggests that you're willing to do whatever it takes to survive instead right. of slowly fading away like um, who, I, um, the, um, the sunflower in someone else's poem that, uh, that he was responding to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, just for, for everyone who's listening, uh, that, that line from the Alan Shapiro poem, Sunflower, is, say there is nothing I won't do to live. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, thank you, Dean, because I, I chose those two opening quotes really carefully. And I think that they speak to the themes of the book. Yeah, absolutely. Pretty well. Well, but there's something that that struck me, though. Um, Why did you dedicate this heartfelt story to your assailant? Um, uh, Yeah, that's that's a a dedication that uh, I think uh, will surprise a, a lot of people. And I have to confess that initially... You know, I just put it down on the page, just like any other words. It's like, I'm just playing with it. You don't have to keep it there. You can always delete it. And I, when I first put it down, mm-hmm. it was, it was just defiance. It was like, you know, <laughs> yeah. fuck you, fuck yeah. you. <laughs> and, um, there's definitely that. There's, that's still, uh, a part of why it remained, uh, and is I, the I dedication. I didn't pick up on that though. It was sort of almost the opposite. I thought, okay, th- this is a very calm, loving woman, and th- th- and, and the de- dedication is very genuine. It's not it's not putting a knife in his face. 
So, no, no, yeah. yeah. And, well, and then that's the other part of it. The way it evolved, and another part of the reason that it's it remained. Um, there's definitely that defiance part. Uh, but there, you're right. There is there is the the um, I don't know what the word is um, acceptance um, uh, for what. Uh, you know, think of all the people you've encountered in your lives, yeah. all, all, and all the books you've read, all the knowledge you've accumulated, mm-hmm. and yeah. of all the lessons I learned in my life, he taught me one of the most important lessons. I mean, it was it was obviously traumatic, uh, but he had a had a lot to do with my ultimate development. Um, yeah. And frankly, I mean, I have my, I have my issues, um, <laughs> but fundamentally I like myself and I think that I'm <laughs> a good person. And um, so. And, so that brings on the big question. How yeah. have you moved on from the assault more than 30 years ago? Well, uh, in some ways I haven't. Um Obviously, writing the book was very triggering, and uh, I'll, the PTSD came back full force. And it's very interesting uh, now that I'm uh, kind of going into full throttle mode to promote the book. Yeah. Um, it's very much in my face, and like I went out this morning to to just walking and running some errands, and. It, uh, you know, you know, hearing footsteps behind me, like I turned around like four times and I'm just like, okay, it's okay. This is just, this is natural. You're, you're reliving this stuff in a very, very big way. So, you know, be nice to yourself. Um, And, um, uh, you know, and then in in terms of how I have recovered, uh, I I don't know. I think it's, it's, the passage of time it's yeah. a lot of therapy um you know and i don't i don't have any real answers and i think one of the big messages of the book is that there are a lot of ways to heal and if you're yes. you you know you're going to take four steps forward and eight steps backwards <laughs> in yeah. your journey and mm-hmm. and that's okay you know absolutely absolutely and so are you still thinking about um learning how to beat the crap out of people I I am, and um, it's uh, it, it's interesting, Dean. Since we talked the other day, um, you know, you're you're a very intelligent person, obviously, um, uh, but you're so insightful, and our conversation really, really stayed with me. And uh, I've got a at lot. First going. I thought, I, I, first, I thought we weren't going to talk again because it, <laughs> it, it, it was just too, maybe too triggering. I thought, oh man, you opened your big mouth again, Dean. <laughs> no, it was it was awesome, but you really, uh, I, I guess, I guess, hit a nerve. And like right now, I'm I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed. I've a lot. I've got a lot going on in my personal life. Uh, yeah. Some good, some bad. And uh, a guy named John, right? There's a guy named John who. Oh, is that his uh, real name? Yeah, that's his real name. That's oh, his real name. Poor yeah, guy. I, I love that. <laughs> what a good what, that story. What a good sport. What a good sport. Um, uh, 
Yeah, but that's his real name in the book. And um, I not give anything away, but I'm just saying congratulations. Yeah, before yeah anyone thank else you. Knows. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, we, no, no spoilers, but uh, yeah, uh, yeah, he's he's the best. And uh, um, I I workshopped this book heavily, and um, uh, a, a good a good friend of mine, I'll just use her first name, Nicole, was in this workshop, and in the early pages where. Uh, John and I, as a couple, are struggling following my assault and my PTSD, and I'm so needy mm. and clingy around him. And um, Nicole wrote in the margin of the pages, John sounds like a dick. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I told John about that, and he's like, oh, that's awesome. We have to find that page and frame it. <laughs> oh, that's cute. So, yeah. Well, I'm yeah, not but- going to even comment on it because I don't want to give away any spoilers, and yeah, and, you know, even uh, inadvertently. So, yeah, g- yeah. well, but that's good. And what, what a God, what a way to um, heal, yeah, by, by coming full circle with someone who's so important and was even more than thirty years ago. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, now, I want to, if I can, I want to bounce back to your book, uh, yeah. Suicide Tango, and um- you're killing it with a shrink. Um, uh, and at one point early in the book Dr. Moore asks he asks himself really how do you ask a child to explain how or why they feel mentally dysfunctional how do you expect a child to even begin to answer a question like that and I wanted you to tell everyone listening, Dean, what's your answer to that question? Well, first, we have two major parts of our our, our mind, I'll say. Uh, the brain is the physical part. The mind is maybe the more ethereal part. There, We have the conscious self and our subconscious. And, and I'll just call this my hypothesis, even though it's 100% accurate for me, at least. The conscious self is sort of like the bus driver, just the uh, the dude or the gal who gets you from point A to point B, not really a thinker. Uh, the subconscious self, though, is it, for me, it's a five a five entity person or little child, um, and it and it's actually an acronym. The child C stands for child or the little kid in you, the the one with wild eyed wonder. Uh, H is heart or your purely subjective or emotional self. Um, I is the uh, intuition or information gathering in uh, system. L is just the opposite of H, uh, uh, logic or cold stainless steel logic. That's the purely objective part of you. And D, my favorite, the little demon. So we we have the conscious self and the subconscious. Unfortunately, the subconscious doesn't really have control over over the bus that the bus driver is driving through life. And a lot of information is stuck in there unless you learn how to communicate with the sub. When you're a child, you are just absorbing so much information. The first 15 years of that life are entirely different from, say, today to the previous 15 years of your life or mine. I mean, we we, yeah, we had some, uh, maybe there was a divorce, maybe uh, uh, you, you got a new job, you know, you won a bunch of cases in court in your case, and it, but in the first 15 years in the life of a child are the most overwhelming, 
and the child doesn't understand what it's going through. No, right. Almost no child does. And it's not because of lack of self-awareness. It's just because they're overwhelmed by all this the, the stimulation, and they are overstimulated sometimes, especially in, when they're being filled with poisons in the environment or in food and water, and they develop ADHD. And that's a perfect example of just being overwhelmed. But most kids would normally be that way if, if they didn't have these normal mechanisms that kind of calm them down. Um, and those are being stripped away, uh, thus producing the uh, ADHDers and people with anxiety. Nonetheless, a young child does not have the mechanism to understand most of the things it does. It just sort of does something. Like it, uh, a, a, a six-year-old pulls a, a, a cake off, the, off a counter and it just turns over and it, and it destroys this maybe a wedding cake. And the, and the mom and dad are coming in and screaming at him, you know, why did you do that? Well, he has no idea. <laughs> Uh-huh. The the sub the subconscious probably had some reason for doing it. He's jealous of his older sister or something like that. You know, he has no idea. And so when parents ask children, you know, why did you do that? Or what were you thinking? It's it's the dumbest question. And I remember I wrote an article some time ago about I think the twentieth the twenty dumbest questions that parents ask children. And I, I got to go find that thing because it's rich. Yeah, and, will, you, will, you, will you send it to me? I would love yes. to read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, okay. it's hilarious, but it's so poignant and it's accurate. And it's you had asked me before um, where that came from. This knowledge. Well, I've, I've, I've been a student of animal behavior all my life, um, especially my own. But uh, I'm rather than talk a lot, I, I love observing, and and seeing what makes people tick, especially kids when I was growing up, because children, again, are, are absorbing so much information. I mean, it, an overwhelmingly amount, an overwhelming amount of information during first 15 or so years. And that turned me on when I was very, very young. And I, because I wanted to figure out um, how it is that I was able to learn uh, four or five languages and how I was able to read every book about sharks in the Library of Congress back when I was like 14, 15, and all, all these other things that I could just squeeze in so much information that I can't do now, mm. and, and not even close. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah I'll, yeah, I'll send you that. But I, I think that I, the part of this book in general, I wanted to share my hypotheses about uh, early child child development and the development of teens and the how the human subconscious plays a role in all these and how parents, I feel, can better communicate with their children if they understand the underlying neurochemistry, neuroanatomy, and just the basic behavior, and some of which I've explained. And, you know, Dean, this is a perfect, uh, perfect segue here. Uh, when, when I picked up your novel, and, you know, before I even opened it, uh, and I was reading it via PDF, which is a totally different reading experience for me in the first place. And before I saw it was a novel, I had assumed it was a memoir. And then even Uh knowing it it was a novel, Mm -hmm. um, I assumed that you wrote this book because you were a psychiatrist who had specialized in treating (laughs) um, suicidal teens. And, uh, and that's not the case. And you have had such an interesting background, uh, such an interesting uh, 
life. And can you just can you just tell our listeners about about your background, being a biophysicist, your time in the army, everything? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, well, first, I grew up in, in Europe, spent our first 12 years there. My dad was a Air Force fighter pilot, flew the F-4 in Vietnam, um, my, my biggest hero, him and my brother John. Well, I, I learned at about age 15 that I needed to plan a life out. That's what I felt. So I, I wrote a life plan at age 15, ninth grade, that I was going to be a, a Marine. I, re- I read the book Jaws, which I absolutely love, and I said I want to be a Matt Hooper. Although I don't want to get consumed by a white shark, uh, yeah, I love the mo- I like the movie better because Matt Hooper lived in the end. <laughs> yeah. And so I said, I want to, I want to be a marine biologist, and after that, uh, I want to be a brain biologist. I didn't know the correct term, neurobiology, and uh, and and study the the underlying chemistry and physics of it. And then I wanted to uh, go out in the world and and. Uh, and fight in combat as an army ranger and then do some kind of corporate mercenary – or not corporate, but mercenary work because I had read, um, oh, Frederick Forsyth's Dogs of War. But I didn't go, want to go out and just kill a bunch of people. I wanted to go out and help people. And so th- this, all this at age 15, and I, and I pretty much fulfilled those goals that I had written as a 15-year-old all the way out to about age 40. So I was a scientist for 15 years. Uh, I started out when I was an undergraduate, and I was the first scientist in the history of science to culture shark cells successfully. And um, but I, I couldn't be bothered with <laughs> mundane acts of science like, um, uh, okay, now you have to publish it. <laughs> I didn't publish it for about six or seven years uh, later. Uh, so I did that. Then I went to grad school and uh, and then became a scientist. I was out at uh, UC San Diego and University of Southern California, Duke University Medical Center. And so I, I started out in marine biology, uh, formerly in science, and spent thousands of hours underwater with different species of sharks and studied electroreception, how they detect electric fields around their prey. And uh, money kind of dried up then and went into the lab and stuck electrodes in brain cells and studied mechanisms of memory storage in single neurons, brain cells. And at age 35, um, I enlisted in the U.S. Army and became the oldest oldest airborne ranger private in the history of the unit. So I was hanging out with kids half my age, felt like I was I had just gone back to high school. I just got transported back to high school. And this time I got to do it right, uh, even though it was very emotionally and physically painful. But it was the best time in my life at that time. And um, even before that, I had... Um, when I was a scientist, I'd take some time off and I'd go fly in the backseat of military uh, high-performance jets like uh, F-15s, F-16s. And uh, I did my first book, book which was about, uh, if you remember the movie Top Gun. Uh, mm-hmm. So I flew at Top Gun, the actual Top Gun, U.S. Navy Fighter Weapons School for two weeks, got ten flights, lived with one of the instructors, and I lived the entire movie. So it was a dream come true that I, I, I never could have thought about even at age 15. And so I flew in the backseat of a lot of jets, so in Air Force, Navy, Marines, and, uh, and then a lot of helicopters like Coast Guard. And, of course, when I was a ranger, I jumped out of planes. Actually, that's inaccurate. I fell out of planes. You don't hey. jump out of a plane. <laughs> and, and landed safely most of the time. And so after the rangers, and I, uh, I did a lot of commercial photography in, in Santa Barbara, California, and um, high-end jewelry and breast implants and I was also doing overseas missions, and I, I won't get into that on 
on a podcast, but uh, nine years, 211 missions, and that that took a lot out of me. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then fast forward, I, I, I found myself in Africa for a couple of months after a divorce, and I ended up staying for two years. And then did a couple of more missions over there, uh, taking care of the poachers who were killing our beautiful animals. And um, and then I, I was injured on the last mission, so I came home and got a couple of total hip replacements here in Florida. And fast forward to today, I'm just kicking back and ghost writing and editing a bunch of books. Yeah, that's a wildlife um, a, <laughs> a, a book right there. I mean, you know, just you're like you should write a memoir. I swear. Oh, so I've already done it though, and, and oh, I, you have. I, yeah, no, no, I'm sorry. I mean, I've already lived the life. Okay. And and so I can't go back. Now, what I do is say with this this next novel, which is uh, Darlington, it's about a hitman in uh, Tampa Bay area in Florida. Um, I can pick out little bits of my life. I don't mind doing that and then inject them into stories or this, this current novel. But I don't want to go back and live to do that. And I thought about it. In fact, I even wrote uh, about the first 50 pages of an outline to a memoir. And I hadn't even gotten, <laughs> I think, to 1985. And so I thought, no, I don't, I don't want to do this. I don't want to live it again. You know, great suggestion. I just... I, I, I need to move on and because there's so many other things I want to do. And as you know, we just don't have time to do all the beautiful things that we want. Right. Right. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, time, time is a, is a precious, precious thing. Um, yeah. I, I wish I had more because when I first re- when I wrote the first draft of suicide tango 15 years ago, I had, um, I was in a relationship with a woman who had a 17-year-old girl, a daughter, who was super smart, a, a great thinker. She spoke like a machine gun, and she, when, she would aim, when she just pointed her nose at your face and just machine gun all these words out there, it was like a thousand rounds a minute. And you know, I, I, I found myself just kind of grabbing bags and getting, getting all my hands and reaching for everything that I could because uh, she spoke without ever stuttering or saying uh or like. Um, unfortunately, she was also suicidal, and she told me a lot of her thoughts about it. And after listening to her, I think one night I just went home and wrote the first draft of Suicide Tango. That's how it yeah. actually started. Yeah, because um, Tripsy is based on her, correct? It is, but I like to joke that I designed and built Tripsy South out of spare parts from the universe. Yeah, <laughs> well put. <laughs> Very well put. Um, a unicorn, too. Ah, Okay. Um, it's, you know, it's interesting going back to, uh, your answer to Dr. Moore's question. Um, how do you expect a child to even be, you know, be able to explain why they feel dysfunctional? Uh, a, a, a long time ago, I was sitting, I was in law school and I was just, uh, sitting on a patio with a friend drinking a couple of beers and, uh, some, some kids, uh, not teenagers, but like preteen, sixth graders walked by and they're just being themselves. And, yeah, yeah. and he, he said to me, he goes, don't you just love kids? They're all just like these little abstract pieces of art. Oh, and I love that. Mm. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. 
I've never forgotten that. And um, I, uh, I think I, isn't it? Yeah. He just, I'm just like, wow, nail, you know, you nailed it. And uh, so um, Tripsy uh, in Suicide Tango is definitely a very uh, bright, albeit troubled um, uh, abstract piece of piece of art. Uh, but um, I'm going to steal uh, that and put it in the, in the book. Go for it. Go for it. Um, <laughs> Scott, Scott won't mind. Um, I haven't seen him in a, in a hundred years. And so he'll, he'll, he'll never know. So your secret's safe with me. Um, so, so I can attribute it to you then? Uh, don't attribute it to me. Um, you can attribute it to, to Scott last name unknown. Cause I can't even remember his, his okay. last name at this point. Um, oh, no worries. Oh, that's uh, poignant. It, I love that. Isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, it's one of my favorite favorite things ever. But um, we're we're about to run out of time, and so I wanted to give you one last opportunity uh, uh, to fire off any question you might have for me before we sign off. Uh, whether it's my desire to learn how to kick people's asses or, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, you know, further psychoanalysis of, uh, uh, my use of words in my book. Um, this is, this is your, this is your parting shot, Dean. So use it well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm rarely at a loss for words. <laughs> well, again, I love your book and it, and it is a very, very important one for people in general. I think what I love most about it is that you were so courageous in talking about and in putting everything out there from what I can tell and and speaking so and just using fucking shit you know all, all you know 40 70 81 times <laughs> and <laughs> and then having the courage to use happy only seven times but the the irony there is that you have become a happy person despite not or despite having or not having discussed happiness much in the book you have you have come there and so that again the wave has reached the shore how do after having done all this now 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 you're going to be promoting it you are a little you you've taken a, a few steps away from your beautiful work how do you feel now as you look at your artwork and those beautiful art words? Um, about the work itself, I feel I feel great about it. Um, I I worked very hard on it. As I said, I workshopped it, put it through many many uh, trusted readers who uh, uh, both reinforced my confidence in the book and uh, definitely gave me a lot of suggestions for improvement as I went through the editing phase. But I I feel like, I I feel, I I think every writer feels this about their book that they feel, yeah, this is great. Everybody should read this. (laughs) Um, Everyone has that uh, uh, writer's arrogance, if you will. But I do think it's important and I think it's important uh, for all uh, trauma survivors to read people who are still processing their trauma uh, because it yeah. lets them know uh, 
um, you know, it's okay to hurt. You're going to hurt for a while and, yeah. and yes. that's okay. And be careful with your self-talk. Uh, don't do all the things that this Karen Thomas did, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. you know, like by yeah. lying all the time and saying, nope, I'm fine. Not a problem. You know, yeah. nope, nope. Didn't, yes. didn't phase me a bit. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, so I, so I feel good about the work and I feel good about, um, you know, how I've process, processed it, uh, on the page and I feel good about it as a product to share with my fellow human beings. So good for you. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, well, Dean, on, on that note, uh, we're out of time and, uh, t can you tell me where, where can people get suicide tango? Uh, let's see. Amazon has it uh, as a pre-order. It will be formally published uh, or released on June 1st, this Saturday. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I think it's on Barnes and Noble too. Okay. Yeah, so uh, there's an ebook floating out there. I do not do Kindle. Okay. Yeah, uh, refuse, but um, the print books are Amazon and just about any place else. Can you ask your librarian to uh, or your library to carry it. Yeah, okay. All right. Um, listeners, there you go. Um, Dean, such a pleasure speaking to you about your wonderful book and your very interesting life. And uh, thank you thank for you. being on the podcast. Thank you, Karen.